0: Hey everybody, you're listening to A New Beginning, which is a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners. If this program has impacted you, I'd love to hear from you. So just send an email to me at greg at harvest.org. Again, it's greg at harvest.org. You can learn more about becoming a Harvest Partner by going to harvest.org.
1: Pastor Greg Laurie points out, believers need to disciple those who are new to the faith. We need to show them the way.
0: New believers need an example. They need to see what a Christian looks like. They need to see a Christian like you. They need to see how a Christian drives. They need to see what it looks like to go to church with Christians and and what you do and how you do it. They need to see uh, what a single Christian looks like. You see some things are taught and some things are caught. This is the day.
1: For something in one of those big box stores, and you feel like you've been walking forever? You ask an employee, Excuse me, where are the paper towels? And you hope they don't just point to the other side of the store? The words you want to hear are, Come on, I'll take you there. Well, today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie explains that new believers need that kind of assistance. We need to show them the way. It's personal, helpful. It's called discipleship, and that's our topic today.
0: The title of my message today is Just Do It. Ever heard that anywhere? All right, remember when the first cell phone came out? Everybody knew it was gonna be a game changer. I don't think anyone knew how much. When this technology first emerged, uh, the phones got smaller and smaller, but then Steve Jobs came along with a new paradigm, a new concept what we now know is the iPhone. Now we have the Android phones and all the others that are like that. But basically he introduced to us a computer in your pocket. It was far more than a phone. He introduced the app. The app did not uh, exist prior to that. So now we have apps and we have social media. These things did not preexist before. And this is having an interesting effect on our country and it is not good. In fact there is a professor of psychology at San Diego State University. Her name is Jean Twenge. And she's written a book uh, called iGen. It's a name she came up with for people born between 1995 and 2012. iGen. She says, quote, members of this generation are safer than those that came before them. They drink less, they learn to drive later, and they hold off having sex. So we're saying, well that's probably a good thing, right? Well not so much. She says but psychologically they are far more vulnerable. She says it is not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. And she says it is largely due to smartphones. She says because today's teens are spending less time with friends. They have far higher rates of depression and suicide. She says quote, look at the patterns of loneliness. It suddenly begins to increase around 2012. That is when the majority of Americans got a cell phone. End quote. Interesting trend, isn't it? And you see how people are disconnecting from real life and living in a virtual world, in a digital world, actually thinking those people on your Facebook page are really your friends. Or those people on Twitter are really your followers and then with the phenomena of the Kardashians uh, where you can be famous for just being famous. that's uh, a whole new kind of celebrity thing that has developed in a strange culture that has really created. But I think it gets down to what people really want in life. People want to be loved. People want to be needed and people want to be appreciated. They want to feel that someone values them and cares about them, and many try to do it through digital connection. But listen, this is where the church comes in. This is what we are here to do, to give them what they're really longing for. And more to the point, this is where discipleship comes in. Now as I said, this is my last message on the topic of discipleship. And I want to focus on what it means to disciple others. I want to get to the bottom line. But before I do, let's review what we have learned together. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these things down. Here's six things we learned about disciples. Number one, a disciple of Jesus loves God more than anyone or anything else. This is based on the statement of Jesus in Luke 14 when He said, if you want to be my disciple, You must hate your father, mother, brother, sister, and your own life, or you can't be my disciple. But remember I pointed out that he's not literally telling us to hate because in other passages we're told to love one another, even love our enemies. But it's a phrase that he uses to effectively say, your love for God should be so intense that your love for anyone or anything else, including yourself, would be like hatred in comparison. So point number one, if you're really his disciple, love God more than anyone or anything else. Number two, a disciple takes up their cross daily and follows Jesus. Jesus said, if you wanna be my disciple, you must take up your cross and deny yourself and take that cross up daily. So every day we put God first in our life and deny ourselves. Thirdly, the disciple must turn over the title deed of their life to Christ or the pink slip of their life to Christ. Because Jesus says there in John 14, if you want to be my disciple, you must forsake all that you have. That doesn't mean you have to take a vow of poverty. That phrase, forsake all that you have, could better be translated, surrender your claim to. So you recognize that your life, your resources, your family, your future, everything belongs to God. Uh, number four, a disciple impacts their culture. Because there, toward the end of Luke 14, Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. And salt in that time, remember, it stopped the spread of uh, the rotting process and the meat, they'd rub it in. And then also it would stimulate thirst. So we're there to do the same in the world. To stop the spread of evil and to speak up for our faith. And then number five, a disciple brings forth spiritual fruit. Because Jesus says, here's how people will know you are my disciples, that you bring forth fruit. And that means results in your life. And then sixth and lastly, a disciple will carefully read, study, and live according to God's word. Because Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Now I want to look at what a disciple does. Hence the title, Just Do It. Just do it. You know, when I first became a Christian, I really didn't fully understand what I'd done. Uh, I went forward at a little Bible study in my high school campus, as i 've told you many times, and I prayed this little prayer i didn 't know what was ahead of me i didn 't know what was going to happen to me, but i I believed what I heard and not long after that, a guy comes up to me that i don 't know from adam 's house cat. did you know Adam had a house cat went, i don 't know if he did or not, probably not but He says, hi, my name is Mark and I saw that you went forward and prayed to accept Jesus the other day. I was kind of like resentful. Like, yeah, so? And no, but hey, I I want to help you. I want to take you to church. I'm like, no, that's okay. I don't want to go to church. No, no, I really want to take you to church. And I have to tell you something about this guy, Mark. Mark wasn't a cool guy. He wasn't the kind of guy I would have normally hung around. But he was so doggone persistent And he wouldn't take no for an answer. And the best way, let me take you to church. Finally I said, okay. But he didn't just take me to church. He introduced me to other Christians. He had me over at his house for dinner with his mom and his dad. We're just kids at this point. I'm talking to Christians. I'm asking questions. No question was too ridiculous to ask. Here's what Mark was doing. He was discipling me. And if he had not done that, I fear I would have fallen through the cracks. Because a lot of times after a person accepts Christ, they don't know what to do next. And so he helped me in that transition. And what Mark did for me, we need to do for others. Because that's what the Great Commission is again. It's to go into all the world and preach the gospel and then make disciples of all nations. Listen, if you're following Jesus as a real disciple, you will be leading others to Christ. Let me reverse that. If you're not leading others to Christ, are you really following Him as you ought to as a disciple? Again, we must be salt. And salt stimulates the thirst of another person. One of the greatest compliments a non-believer can pay a believer is when they say, What is it about you that makes you different? You have this peace. You have this joy. I'm interested. Oh, that's so great. When it opens a door for conversation. Listen, if you want to win some, you need to be winsome. We are there to build those bridges. You know, sometimes you sow a seed. Sometimes you water a seed. Sometimes you reap where others have sown and watered. Don't ever try to harvest a seed that is not ready to be harvested. But don't miss the opportunity to harvest when it is harvest time. As the great theologian Kenny Rogers once said, you need to no one to fold them, no one to hold them, <laughs> no one to walk away. Right? And so the idea is you need to pray for wisdom. Okay this is seed sowing time. This is just being a witness. Okay this is a time to try to close the deal. Here is our commission. Again Matthew 28 verse 16. "'Go therefore,' says Jesus, "'and make disciples of all nations,' baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given to you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So here's our job. Here's discipleship simplified. I've told you what a disciple is. Now let me tell you what a disciple does or what it means to make disciples of others. Our objective is to go lead others to Christ establish them spiritually, and do it again and again and again. Basically it's wash, rinse, repeat. Evangelize, disciple, stabilize, repeat. Do it over and over again. But somewhere along the line, we've sort of separated evangelism from discipleship. And they're one and the same. We're not just called to invite people to Christ, but then we need to take these new believers under our wing and help them get up on their feet spiritually. and would be like delivering a baby in a hospital and then just giving the little baby some pampers and say, okay, buddy, God bless you. <laughs> Tough world out there, but uh, good luck, goodbye, go. No, little babies need to be nurtured and, and loved. And new believers need to be nurtured and loved as well.
1: What are the specific things new believers need as they begin to grow as Christians? Pastor Greg answers that in just a moment. You know, Pastor Greg, you've talked about the Jesus movement, the Jesus revolution of the 60s and 70s. Yeah. It was an incredible move of the Spirit, a a true spiritual awakening. That's right. But as we see the cultural decay in our cities and, you know, a moral decline across the culture, A Jesus revolution really has to be a part of our future, doesn't
0: it? It really does. You know, back in the 60s, we used the phrase déjà vu a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And déjà vu is sort of like, oh, well, I've been here before. Well, almost in a technical sense, it seems like, hey, we've been here before. Riots on the streets, failing economy, hopelessness in the air, young people searching for meaning in life, a drug epidemic. It was called the late 60s and early 70s. But I'll tell you what turned things around. It wasn't a political revolution. It wasn't a moral revolution. It was a Jesus revolution. It happened before. It can happen again. Now, listen, we can't make a revival happen. But perhaps we can prepare the ground, or let me restate it, prepare the ground by praying for another Jesus Revolution, praying for another spiritual awakening, I really think we're long overdue. And so please, let's all be praying for this in our nation. And here at Harvest Ministries, I want you to know that we're committed to the cause of proclaiming the gospel. That's one of the earmarks of the Jesus movement. There was a lot of evangelism, and I feel in many ways, the church as a whole has maybe lost sight of the importance of preaching the gospel. We want to get the gospel to as many people as we can, as quickly as we can, in these critical days in which we're living, and we want to see another spiritual awakening in America. Will you join us in that endeavor? Will you stand with us in your prayers and with your finances and help us to attempt to fulfill the Great Commission? in our lifetime. Yeah, you play an important part in that. So pray about being a partner
1: with us as we share the hope of the gospel across town, across the nation, and even overseas. Your investments make a real difference in so many lives, and it's an eternal difference. So prayerfully consider a year-end investment. Won't you do that? You can call us anytime, 24 hours a day at 1-800-821-3300. That's one 800 821 3300 or go online to harvest.org. And now here's Pastor Greg with more of today's message.
0: Read about an interesting study conducted by a large hospital where they discovered something. They noticed that the babies that were near the door were healthier and stronger than the other babies. And they wondered why. So after careful study, they noticed that the nurses were more prone to give attention to the babies near the door as they went about their duties. They would pick them up and hug them and speak to them. So they thought this is what the children need. Just a little baby can tell when they're being loved, when they're being embraced, or when they're being cared for. And the new believers need the same thing from all of us. Here's a few things a new believer needs. Number one, they need assurance. They need assurance. They need to be reassured that God loves them and God has forgiven them and that their name is written in the book of life. One passage everyone should commit to memory is 1 John 5.13 where John writes, I write these things to you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Reassure a believer of that because remember in the Garden of Eden Satan attacked Adam and Eve. You remember how he attacked? He said to them, Did God say what you really thought God said? And he'll do that in the life of a new believer. And for the, that matter, older believers sometimes too, right? Are you really saved? Do you think Christ has really forgiven you? It's not based on how I feel, it's based on what God has done. New believers need assurance. Number two, new believers need protection. They need protection. When you're holding a, a little baby, you have to hold them carefully and hold them in the proper way and support them and, and anything that could harm them. You, you put yourself in the way of that thing. And new believers need protection as well. Uh, Galatians 4.19 says, My dear children, I feel as though I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your life. New believers are vulnerable to their emotions as well as being vulnerable to false teaching. Old friends will try to drag them down. Old girlfriends and old boyfriends will materialize out of nowhere. Temptations will come that maybe they have never experienced before. Right? You remember that yourself. So they need to be protected. And just as in the parable of the sower Jesus talked about the seed Sown on the roadside, eaten by the birds. And he said, these are they that hear the word of God. But Satan comes immediately and snatches it away. The new believer doesn't know what's happening, but we do. So we need to help them. And number three, they need food. They need food. You know, when a baby cries, it's usually because of two reasons. Number one, they need their diaper changed. Number two, they're hungry. By the way, those are the same reasons I cry. So Kathy always has a sandwich and some Depends nearby. No, that's a joke. It's not true. I don't wear Depends. Wow, how did I get off from that? That's just. <laughs> but as I've said before, you know, healthy people are hungry people. So when you're a new believer, you're hungry for the Word of God. Can you remember the first time you read the Bible as a new Christian? Now if you were raised in the church, it was familiar, but perhaps it came alive to you. But if you were more like me and you weren't raised in the church and you started hearing these things for the first time. I am just a kid. 17 years old. And I am reading these things in the Bible that relate to me as a 17 year old. And I still relate to them as a 40 year old with added years. And so it is relevant to you in your youth. It is relevant to you in your middle age. It is relevant to you in your old age. Number four. New believers need an example. They need to see what a Christian looks like. You see, some things are taught and some things are caught. Does that make sense? There's only so many things I can say from a platform teaching. They need to see a Christian like you. They need to see how a Christian drives. They need to see what a Christian married couple looks like. They need to see what it looks like to go to church with Christians and, and what you do and how you do it. They need to see uh, what a single Christian looks like. They need to know what, do you go to movies and what movies do you go to. They observe these things. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.10, there is no 3.10, 3.10. <laughs> he says to Timothy, you have observed my teaching, listen, my conduct, my aim in life, and my faith. So it's not just my teaching. It's my conduct. It's my aim in life. It's my faith. You've seen an example. And let's be honest now. Here's one of the reasons we don't want new believers in our life. We don't want to change our behavior. See, because if I take a new believer with me to church and we go to lunch after and they're with me, I can't gossip. (laughs) If I have a new believer with me, I'll probably drive the speed limit. And I'll probably talk about the message and do things a Christian ought to do already. Maybe we don't want that added pressure in our life. But we're missing out, not only on helping them, but on helping ourselves. You see, here's the thing. There can come a point in our life where we can actually be guilty of overeating. Let me explain. I like Thanksgiving. We sit around our tables. We have prayer. We eat a wonderful meal. And we all go into a collective coma for two hours. Right? Because <laughs> all that tryptophan and the turkey. We just, And then we wake up and we stumble to the refrigerator and reheat some more. Right? So. But you know I love Thanksgiving. But The last thing I want to do after I eat a big meal is go exercise. Here is the thing. We can be in the church and we are having the finest meals. We are studying the Bible together. And obviously I want you to do that. And we should do that as disciples. And we are worshiping together. And we are learning together. And that is all great. But if I don't have an outlet for what I am taking in that can be really problematic. I must give out what God has given to me or I can actually reach a state of stagnation. Kind of a spiritual obesity. It's called being sedentary. You know you need exercise when your dog is fat, right? (laughs) And maybe that's because you push him around in a stroller. And I have a word from the Lord. I have a word from the Lord for you that push dogs and strollers, stop exercise. That is not a word from the Lord. That is just me. But fact is if the TV and fridge were not so far apart we wouldn't get any exercise. <laughs> but here is the point. We need to be giving out what God has given. This is a biblical principle. Jesus says in Luke 6.38, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. And pour it into your lap. And the amount you give will determine the amount you get back.
1: Pastor Greg Laurie, pointing out God's plan for discipleship. It's encouraging and caring for those who are newborn in the Lord. And there's more to come in this message here on A New Beginning. The title of the study is Just Do It. Look for that study at harvest.org if you'd like to hear it again. Again, go to harvest.org. Or you can subscribe to our podcast by going to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Well, we're so happy to be making available a brand new book by Sally Lloyd-Jones. It's the children's book called Known, Psalm 139. And Sally is here talking with Pastor Greg and his wife Kathy. Uh, Here's just an excerpt of the book, uh, read by Sally.
2: God is a good daddy, and I'm his little child. He knows when I wake up, and when I put my shoes on, and when I run outside to play. He knows my name, and the color of my eyes, and the dreams inside my heart.
0: I just love the way that you speak, Sally. Like when you go into a restaurant and you order something, do you say things like, I'll have a sandwich. A sandwich is good. A sandwich, I don't know. But with your British accent. I only
2: speak in in rhyme and I use my accent (laughs) because it makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about, which is helpful. Yes.
0: (laughs) So if you went and you ordered a sandwich, how would you say it?
2: I might. If I was really trying to be very British, I would say, I should like to have a sandwich.
0: Yes. And also in England, they'll say things like, if they want to correct you, they don't say it to you directly. It's sort of passive aggressive, like, one should remember when they are eating. (laughs) It's one should, even though this is you.
2: Well, (laughs) this is actually, you've, you've actually made me realize I wouldn't say that. I would go and say, One would like a sandwich, please. Would Would that be possible? (laughs) So silly. Yes.
0: Well, we love the way you speak, the way you write, and God has given you an extraordinary gift. I was just curious, you know, speaking to children, not everyone does it well. When you write to children, are you writing specifically to them or are you writing to everyone?
2: I'm actually writing to children because that makes me have to be really, uh, have to work harder. Like, Like you said, I have to work very hard to, someone said it's like you have to go through complexity to get to the other side to simplicity. Yes. If you don't understand it yourself and you don't go through complexity, if you stay this side of complexity, then you will dumb it down and it will not be, it will be simplistic. Yeah. So I think writing for children makes you work harder to understand theology enough that you can make it simple but not wrong that's always the thing but also children that because they're young it's a much greater responsibility on the writer to give the young the best work because because they're young you know some people have this idea that anyone can write children's books Mm -hmm. and as i heard one writer say well it's very easy to write a bad children's book Mm -hmm. so that's what I end up coming to if you want to give children your best work it's not easy yeah now, it shouldn't look hard. In fact, that's a compliment. If someone picks up your book and goes, oh, well, I could do that, you've probably done a good job because you haven't made it look hard. Um, and I'm not saying that to make out that I'm so great, but it just I, I really feel passionately about children deserve our best work. And sometimes we dishonor children by thinking that somehow anything will do because they're children. It's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. When Jesus walked this earth, the little children were drawn to him. There was one occasion in Scripture when the children were coming to Jesus, and the disciples were sending them away, and the Lord said, let those children come unto me, and don't forbid them, for if such is the kingdom of God. Children are a great judge of character, and they understood much of what Jesus said. The Bible even says the common people heard him gladly. So Sally, this new book, Known, that you've written, which is a paraphrase of part of Psalm 139 is going to impact a lot of children and I think some adults as well as they read it to their children. And this book that we are offering right now called Known by Sally Lloyd-Jones is available to you for your gift of any size to our ministry so we can reach more people with the teaching of the Word of God and the proclamation of the gospel. So order your own copy of Known because one should do this. Because it will benefit one if they do.
2: (laughs) Very good.
1: (laughs) And here's how one could go about that. We're making it available to say thank you for your generous investment right now. You know, the timing is perfect. We're reaching further than ever with the gospel. And your investment will help us touch more hearts in the coming weeks and months. And as you partner with us, be sure to ask for your own copy of Sally Lloyd-Jones' new book called Known, Psalm 139. A great Christmas gift, don't you think? You can call us and make the arrangements at one 821 3300 That's a 24-7 phone number, 1-800-821-3300. Or write A New Beginning, Box 4000, Riverside, California, 92514. Or go online to Harvest.org.
0: You know, there's nothing like hearing the Word of God and worshiping the Lord together. I want to encourage you to join us for something we call Harvest at Home. It happens every Saturday and Sunday at Harvest.org. You can join Christians literally from around the world as we worship and we study the Word of God together. So join us for Harvest at Home at harvest.org. Well, next
1: time, Pastor Greg brings the finale to his series called Discipleship, The Road Less Taken. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher, Greg Laurie.